in uh, 1978. I was a young man. I was a senior in high school. I was finishing my last year of high school. It was December. It was an important month because my parents had opened a jewelry business. And when we opened this jewelry business, we lived on a busy road and we lived upstairs and the downstairs, the basement area, we had turned it into a, a jewelry business. And I remember helping my dad. He, we had excavated the front yard, made it a parking lot, helped my dad build out that store. And then we opened it. And now we were in our third year of business. And if you know anything about business, it's usually the third year by the time things really start turning around. And it really was for us in our business. But in this important month, because it was Christmas time, it's one of the busiest times in that particular kind of business, and uh, we were excited about that, and i never forget it was a Saturday. I was, um, I had normally been playing uh, sports and so forth and been gone, and, um, but on this particular Saturday, I was at home. I was upstairs, and my parents were downstairs and running the business, and as I was sitting upstairs, I began to hear some loud noise, and if you know my dad, he he was kind of a boisterous person. He was loud. He, he talked loud. He laughed loud. And I don't know where I got it from. I kind of do the same thing, right? But So I'm sitting upstairs and not really thinking much of it, but I continue to hear some noise. And I thought, well, I wonder who it is down there. I wonder who's visiting. So I remember putting my, my food down and going through the kitchen. I was sitting in the living room, going to the kitchen and coming to the back stairs. And when you go down our stairs, the first part kind of has a little turn. It's just five or six stairs. And then there's a landing, which has a door that goes outside. Well, as I hit the bottom of the, that first landing, I thought, huh, I'll let the dogs in because they've been outside a while. And I pulled back the curtain and I see both of my dogs that were eating. We had just fed them where my mom or my dad, one of them had just fed them. I normally wouldn't have been home, so I didn't even think about it. And so I said, oh, I'll leave the dogs alone. And I turned and went down the, the next flight of the stairs. As, you get to the bottom of the stairs, the flight of stairs, it's a little short hallway, probably about three foot of wall on this side and three foot of wall on this side. There was a room here, which back in those days, we had designated areas for big furnaces. It was a huge furnace room. Over here was a couple more rooms. They were kind of work rooms that we did different kinds of work in. There was washer back there, if I remember right. All the different things was over here. And to the left, there was where our jewelry business, where our showcase, where Customers would come in. We had showcases that were set up in the, in the, in the, in the display and so forth. There was a little door, and the door was propped open a little bit, and I looked to my left, and as I'm coming down off the stairs, I see my dad laying on the floor. I'm like, well, what's wrong? And I became fixated, watched, looking at my dad. I couldn't see my mom. I really couldn't see the, the, the display cases or anything. And so I began to move towards, and as I kind of got into the room, and I'm still kind of just staring at my dad, the door was kind of halfway covering me, and all of a sudden I heard these words. I heard, don't move or I'll shoot. And I looked up, and just right across the counter was a man standing there with a gun, and he was pointing it right at me. And without thinking, I was 17. You know, when you're 17, you do things that later you go, why did I do them, you know? Without thinking, I jumped back, I could hear the gun going off and the bullet hitting the wall behind me. And without even thinking, I ran past the stairs into the next room and I finally realized what I did. I turned around to come back. The guy had jumped over the counter. He came through the door. He had a, you know, it's been a long time ago. I still remember. Anyway, I'm starting to feel some of the emotions of it. But came back around and he grabbed me. I'll never forget, he grabbed my shirt and 
pushed me up against the wall and he stuck the gun in my face and began to ask me if there was anybody else in the house. And I said, no. And I can remember looking down the barrel of that gun and just all of the feelings that went with it. And the other, there was another guy I didn't see. My dad was on the floor. My mom was laying on the other floor. And the other guy that was with him was handcuffing and blindfolding my mom. He just handcuffed and blindfolded my dad. And now he grabbed me. And so they didn't have handcuffs for me. He pulled me over, laid me down. He took some extension cord, began to tie my hands as he was sitting on me, tied my hands. And that day they walked out with over $100,000 worth of gold, silver, jewels, and diamonds. It devastated our family. I was actually had passed the FAA written test. I wanted to be a pilot. I was beginning to start getting hours. My parents were able to begin to start affording that. That all out went out the window. Um, I remember during that time, I had begun to walk away from some of my old friends and was really setting my sights on God and a relationship with him. I was wanting to know him in every way and I was pursuing him and studying his word and, and bam, this thing hit. My mom and dad, um, their marriage just began to fall apart. I don't know how else to describe that. Other than that, several times I moved my mom out of the house and, and so forth. My mom had a nervous breakdown. You can imagine if you were laying on the floor and somebody's handcuffing you and blindfolding you and you hear a gun, you hear a gun going off and you know it's your son walking in the room, you probably would be devastated by it. It devastated our family. It devastated everything that was ever planned. We ended up having to shut down the business that just could not continue on. And, and just our lives changed. How do you respond in that? I can remember going through questions of asking God why. God, I just gave up all these things to serve you, to follow you. Why? I began to struggle with some of those things and I began to try to understand why did difficulties happen in life. And the reality is, I just shared something very personal, it was very destructive in my life. I can go around to each one in this room and online and every one of us have things that have happening or are happening in our lives that we can't explain. We wanna know why and one of the things I've realized is really why doesn't answer the question. We think that somehow if I know why it would ease the suffering or to ease the pain, where it would explain why things happen. But the reality, it doesn't. It doesn't change the pain. The pain is still just as real. And when I looked into the scriptures, I looked at the life of Job. And that's where we're gonna be this morning if you take your Bibles and turn to Job. I looked at the life of Job, and really when you begin to look at the book of Job, Job really doesn't answer the question why, it answers the question how. How do we respond when these things happen in our lives? I can tell you in, in my life, after that happened, there was a great difference. My parents became very angry and bitter, became very upset, mad at God, mad at a lot of different things. I remember thinking, and I can remember even reading some of Job and thinking, God is still God. It hasn't changed. And one of the realities in our lives is that we want answers and we want things to make sense. And a lot of times life doesn't make sense. We've been going through this series talking about what is the blessed life. And we think it's blessed life is when we 
have a particular item where when life is going well and everything's fitting together. But last week we looked at Ecclesiastes and it didn't take long to realize that life doesn't always make sense. Even someone like Solomon and all of his wisdom and all of his power as a king and all of his uh, resources to be able not to withhold from his hands anything he wanted to do, he came to the understanding that, hey, life under the sun, life without God is vanity, it's meaningless. That life begins in a person, it begins in the Godhead. And through what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ, that he would bring us into his family. And now we have this relationship with him. It begins to change the way we see those things. It was so dramatic for me because I began to grow. I began to understand who God was. I did not understand what happened. I did not understand when I would have to move my mom out of the house. I did not understand when I had to go visit her when she was in the mental hospital because she had a nervous breakdown. I didn't understand a lot of different things, but there's something I did understand, that God is God. From everlasting to everlasting, he has not changed. And when I looked at the life of Job, I began to realize this was a man who was righteous. Not only does the author say that Job was righteous, but God says he was righteous. There was nothing in his life that, that deemed or brought about the catastrophes that would fall upon him. He was a righteous man. It seemed unjust that these things would happen. For me, I remember as a 17-year-old young man who just quit playing football because there was guys on that team. There was guys on that team that I realized were pulling me in the wrong direction. I began to set apart my life to seek after God. And then this happened, what are you doing, God? We have sickness and we have death, we have catastrophes, we lose jobs, we have all these things that go on in life. Has God changed? Is he not the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore? And yet we find ourselves evaluating him based on our daily activities and in the, in the inflictions of, of life and the flux of life. God hasn't changed. And the reality for me is I remember as I look back to those times and many times since when life hasn't turned out the way that I thought where things began to happen that I didn't, didn't like, I've come to the place where I begin to realize more and more the one thing that hasn't changed is God is still God. And so when we look at the book of Job and the Lord of the life of Job, we begin to realize that Job was a righteous man. And from him, we begin to understand how does a righteous person respond? If you look at Job chapter one and verse one, and we're gonna be reading lots of different spots through today, so hang in there. It says in verse one, there was a man in the land of Uz who, whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. It's very clear about Job. Job was blameless. It's the idea that not only was he blameless in the sense of the way God looked at him, but he was blameless in the way that his own community looked at him, his own family, his friends. There was no charge that was brought against him because of who he was. He was righteous. He, was, he, had, a, he had a very compelling sense of righteousness. His sons and his daughters, they would have feast and they would gather together. And the next morning he would get up first thing to, to do sacrifice over, this, over his children lest somehow they, they brought an accusation against God where they cursed God in some way. 
And so we begin to realize that this guy was a man who was righteous and he had a very strong sense of righteousness in how he conducted his life. And then we see in verses six and following of chapter one that a discourse begins to take place between God and Satan. We find that there's this gathering that takes place and there's some things we don't totally understand in scriptures, but there's this gathering and in the midst here comes Satan and God asks Satan what he's been doing. He's been traveling back and forth. And then look in verse eight. This is how we know. It's really how we, re, how we begin to respond. Verse eight of chapter one, it says, and the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? I'm, I'm always amazed at this, that God says this about Job. An upright man, he has confidence in who Job was. He was able to bring him up and say, have you looked at him? Have you considered him? A righteous man, an upright man. Verse nine, Satan responds and answers the Lord and said, does Job, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his, and his possessions have increased in the land, but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. Hear the strong, never forget, we have an accuser of the brethren. We have an accuser, he's always accusing us. It's why we always should guard our own hearts and our own minds and our own mouths to not accuse others, right? It's so easy to do that, to make a judgment about someone else's heart or someone else's thoughts or someone else's ways. There's already one that stands before God making accusation after accusation. We don't have to help him out. We have a message of hope. We have a message of salvation. We have truth. Those are the things that people need to hear. Anyway, he makes an accusation that he would accuse, he would curse God if these things took away. In verse 12, it says, and the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And if you read the following verses, <clears throat> you, find that, you find that now there's tremendous things that are taking places. In fact, the picture, the way it's drawn out is, is, you know, Job is standing there and there's a messenger. He's coming over the hill and he runs up and he tells Job about the Sabaeans who, who now have taken and destroyed all of, the, all of his children. And while this guy's still talking, he looks out and here comes another messenger and he's running up and, and there's been a great fire from heaven. And as he looks up, here's another messenger and he's, and he's coming and he says, hey, there's the Chaldeans, they've came. And while he's looking up, here's another messenger and he's coming. And and, and, and he's, there's been this great wind and, and everything's been destroyed. Everything's been lost. It's kind of like getting a text message and as, as you begin to read the text message, it's dinging on the next message and you go over to the next one and it's dinging and then you go to the next one and it's dinging and you go to the next one and before it's done, you've lost everything, all your children, your wealth, your possessions, everything lost. And that's the picture of what's happened to Job that he's lost all of these things, all of these things, he's been, dis been destroyed and they're happening for no apparent reason. It's not like he's been at war with the Sabaeans. It's not like he's been at war with the Chaldeans. It's not like they didn't know about this storm. These, all these things were happening for no apparent reason. Job is unaware of the discussion that's taking place between God and Satan. As Job is unaware of how God has said, have you considered my servant Job? Have you looked at him? He's a faithful man, fears God, 
and upright and blameless. And so when he goes on, then there's again another meeting between God and Satan in verse 21 and 22. Oh, I'm sorry. Job responds. I went too far. Job responds. He rips off his robe and, he's, and he goes down and he sits in sackcloth and ashes. Verse 21, it says, and he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. I remember when I, I read this, and that's the reason I was, I remember when I read this when the robbery happened. And I was thinking, man, that is true. I, I remember thinking, I never heard anybody going cursing God or blaming God when everything's going right. When business is booming, when everything's going your way, do people curse God? They curse God when things don't go right. I mean, there's somebody that's got to be blamed, right? Because it's not, it's not me, obviously. And I remember reading that, and that stuck out to me for so long that in life I have to understand the good and the bad, and, and, and that in those events I still have this relationship with God. But you know what strikes me the most now when I read this passage? It's 22. And all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. It breaks my heart because we live in a day where we're charging God with all kinds of garbage. Not just in the world, but in the church. We're quick to blame him for the things that are going on in our lives. When things don't happen a certain way, yet Job still did not blame God. Still not. There's a second discourse in chapter two. We can find Satan above, uh, before God. God again asked him, in fact, it's interesting. God asked him if he's seen Job. He's blameless, he's upright. One who fears God and turns away from evil again. And then Job says this in verse four and five. He said, not Job, Satan says this in verse four. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, all that a man has, will, he will give for his life, but stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh and he will curse you, hear these words again, to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. Skin for sin, skin, he's meaning what he's saying there is if you take these things away, he will curse you. How many times have we, I know in my own life, been struggling, when things begin to happen, it begins to want to distance yourself from God, don't you? We do it all the time. We hold him accountable for the events of our lives that don't go the way that we think they should go. And we begin to distance ourselves. And God says, look at my Job. Still faithful, still blameless, still righteous. Yeah, but you take everything, you touch his body, he's gonna curse you to your face. And Satan touched his body, sores from the bottom of his feet. Can you imagine? I've had sores on my feet, like blisters from hiking or playing football. And man, it hurts. Sores from the bottom of his feet to the crown of his head, to the top of his head. And his friends come along and they see him as he rips off his clothes. He's sitting in sackcloth and ashes. His wife comes along. You know what she tells him? Are you still... Curse God, curse God and die. 
from my mother's womb, I had nothing, and so I will return. A man of faith. And it says in, that, in the text that in all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. It's incredible. I don't know what you're going through today, but you need to look at that. You need to look at a man of faith, a man who believed in God. We need to be reminded of that. Job's friends come along and they see him from afar off, sitting there in the sackcloth and ashes in mourning. They too join him in sackcloth and ashes, mourning, weeping with him for seven days. They did not speak of the, of the pain and the sorrow that he was going through. He had nothing left, nothing. Now his wife has left him. He had nothing sitting there and they're sitting there with him. In chapters three through chapters 28, there begins a discourse between Job and his friends. This discourse between his friends and Job and his friends <clears throat> begins, to, begins to start off where his friends look at Job and they're saying, you have sin in your life. That's why all these things happen. And Job's like, no, I don't, I'm righteous. I have no sin in my life. And so Job begins to build his case and he continues to build his case. And one of the things that goes on in this, in this time is this what we call retribution theology. And it looks like, guys, oh, there it is. Let me see if this will come up here. Oh, there you go. Nope, oh, went the other way. Me and my technology abilities. Hey, can you, um, Alan, I don't know if you're back there. Can you switch this around? Anyway, it's kind of messing this up. Retribution theology, it says, can you put it where the arrows? Yeah, thank you. Retribution theology says, if you're righteous, you're gonna be prosperous. You remember back in Proverbs that if you seek after God and you, you, you put, endure his word and you, you, um, you walk in a way of wisdom, thus prospering and so forth. And so Jewish people believed in retribution theology. They believed if you were righteous, you were gonna have prosperity, which was the case in Job. But their other idea was if there's sin or there's wickedness, there would be poverty. So when you read this and you read it from right to left, it also reads left to right. Will you give me that other slide? Yeah. If you're prosperous, then you must be righteous. If you have poverty, if you're poor, there must be sin in your life. And that's how that works. And so his friends were coming, they were going, okay, all these things have happened to you. There has to be sin in your life. And Job is saying, no, I'm righteous. And they're saying, it's not possible. You can't be righteous because you lost everything. There's gotta be sin. And for 28 chapters, this, this discourse goes on. And in chapters 29, 30, and 31, Job is even saying, he gets to the place where he almost draws out this courtroom and he's calling on the mountains to be his, his jury, to be the ones of his witnesses. And he's saying, in the past, before all this happened, I was walking in the city and I was, I was held in great respect. And people looked to me and, and held me with honor. And now they, when I walk by, they laugh in chapter 30. In chapter 31, he, would, he goes on to the place where he's like, is there, is there a mediator? Is there someone who can represent between God and me? I can understand these things happening to me, all of this, all of this uh, poorness and the destruction of my, of, my, of my things. I can understand if I was unfaithful. 
I can understand if I had an impure mind. I can understand if I had a life of sin, but I'm righteous. And so what happens is, is if you start thinking this way and then all of a sudden here's, here's Job who's righteous, one of two things. Either one, Job is lying, he's not righteous and he does have sin. Or number two, God is wrong. God is wrong because he's allowing, he's allowing someone to experience poverty who's, who's righteous. And that's what happens in our thinking. We think it all the time, dear people of God. Things start going wrong and we start blaming God because it's gotta be God, right? I didn't do anything. There was nothing I did to deserve. You know what, that day when those guys walked in and robbed our family, there was nothing we did to deserve that. There was absolutely nothing to justify that. We just live in a sin-cursed world with evil people, right? And if it wasn't for the grace of God, I would be just like them. And the reality of that is very strong in my understanding because I know, I know the depths of iniquity and I know the depths of sin and what it can do in our lives if we allow it. And we live in a sin-cursed world and bad things just happen. But there is a God above the sun who from everlasting is everlasting, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he's the one that we serve. And sometimes in this world, there are things that are gonna happen. I lost everything when those guys walked in that day and they took it out. It didn't happen immediately, but it happened over time. The relationship with my parents changed because their relationship changed. Things start falling apart and yet here I see Job sitting in the ashes and he was still not cursing God, but now he's getting to this place because his friends are accusing him over and over. There's gotta be sin, Job. There's gotta be sin. There has to be sin in your life. And he's saying, no, no. And when he gets into chapter 32, he's like, hey, look, I can understand if there was sin, if there was only somebody who could represent me. But the problem is God is not only the judge, he's the prosecutor too. And if God would just hear my side, if God would just understand my view. And that's how we often think. We just want God to understand our perspective and the realities he does. So this friend comes along, his name's Elihu. Elihu was the youngest of the three of the friends in chapter 33. In fact, he, he's involved in chapter 33 up to 37. And in those chapters, Eli, Elihu gives a speech his friends quit speaking, his other three friends, because they said, well, Job is just righteous in his own eyes. They didn't even contemplate that he was actually righteous. He was just being righteous in his own eyes. He has sin. I know that because all of these things have happened to him. Before all these things happened, he might have been righteous because he had prosperity. But now because of this, he's not. He's got to be lying. So they quit talking to him. And Elihu comes along, and he's, he's angry with him. He's angry with Job. You know why? Because Job justified himself rather than justifying God. And all of his argumentation and his questions about why these things were happening, Job was justifying himself. There is no sin, I am righteous. And he, if he wasn't careful, he was gonna to move to this place where God, God had to be wrong. That was the path he was leading down. But he was righteous. He was righteous. And things happen to us in our world, prosperity and adversity, these things happen to us just because things happen in this world. 
Sometimes it's because of our own sin. We sin and it causes iniquity. Iniquity causes things and, and pain in our lives. Sometimes God deals with this and he, and he guides us along and he, and he chips away at us that we might be more like his son. But sometimes things just happen in this world. It's not just, just, just because we're not righteous. Elihu, Elihu was also upset with his friends because they made a judgment without any kind of an answer. They just concluded that he, that he, that he had sin in his life and that was it. There was no other option because God wasn't wrong. So he had to have sin. That was their only option. It was the only place they could go. In chapter 38, the climax really begins of the book where now where it begins now discourse between God and Job. In chapter 38, verses one through five, Job begin, uh, God begins to ask Job some questions. He, in fact, in verse one, it says, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Like, who are you, Job, that you would bring counsel without knowledge? Were you there when the foundations of the world were laid? Were you there when, when the cub was born? Are you like a lion that is able to hunt? And when the, when the strength of the, of, the, of the lion comes about, or the strength of the ox, or the strength of whatever animal that God begins to describe here, where were you in those things? Did you design that? Did you lay it out? Job responds in verse 40, or chapter 40, verse one. And the Lord said to Job, shall the fault finder, look at this, man, I hope God never says this to me, but shall the fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. All right, let me hear your answer. I just laid this out. Come on, let me hear your answer, Job. Verse three, Job then answered the Lord and said, behold, I am of a small account what shall I answer you? I don't have anything to answer. When I realize who you are, God, and I realize I am such a small account in the glory of who you are, I have nothing to say. He says, I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. I always love that picture of Job putting his hand over his mouth, lest another word slips out because all of a sudden you've got a very big dose of who God is and who he is. And you think God stops there? He begins to describe these two beasts, great beasts of, the, uh, the, the, of, the, of their times. And God says, just as he made them, he's made Job. You're no greater. Can you, can you take a sword to, to one? Can you hook it with a fish hook on another? Can you control these beasts, these beasts that I created? I created you too, Job. Who are you? Where were you? You see, one of the things, dear people of God, I find that why we run away from God so much when life doesn't go the way we want is because we forget about who God is. We judge God like we would judge another man or another friend or a family member or a president. We begin to judge God in that way, like somehow he is like us. And that's what we do. We bring God from his glory and his majesty and who he is and we bring him down here and we begin to judge him like we would judge another person. 
That's what Job was saying. How can these things happen to me if only I could talk to God and he understand my view as if God doesn't understand? Did he forget? Did he forget that God was all-knowing? Did he forget that God is all-powerful? Did he forget that he's still in the hand of God? We forget who God is. You know why I say the term so many times, you are God's people, the people of God? I want us to understand that there is God and the life we live under the sun is meaningless. That was the whole idea of Ecclesiastes. It's meaningless unless we revere God and we keep his word, we keep his teachings, we appropriate it in his life because he is the one who created us. Do you think he knows how we ought to live if he created us? I have seen people people after people who run from God and over and over again, their lives just go to a place of anger and bitterness. Not always, there's plenty of angry and bitter Christians, right? Because we haven't learned to submit ourselves to God, to rest in his work, to take comfort in the power that he has in our lives. We haven't learned how how to walk in the spirit under the control of the spirit, allowing him to, build within us the fruits of righteousness. But it's a lifetime adventure. I'm still learning that. It's a joy, but we cannot, I don't care where you are spiritually today, you cannot forget who God is. He is your creator. He is your sustainer of life. It isn't that God has to fit your understanding of the world, it's that you need to understand his. And you're not gonna always understand him. And I don't want to serve a God that I understand because then if I totally understand everything about him, then he wouldn't be God, he'd just be another me and you all would be in trouble. I'm telling you. I'm serious about this, dear people. I'm serious. Who is God in your life? Is God something you're adding into your life? Is God something you're trying to adjust to make him fit in your understanding of life? You will be deceived and you already are. You have to come to a place where you understand he is God and you are not. That's why we bow our hearts. That's why we bow our lives to him because we are his servants and he is God. That's why this book is really about how a righteous person is to respond. Job in chapter 42 says, then Job answered the Lord, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. You're not gonna change the purposes and the plans of God. Verse three, who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I do not understand. Dear people of God, there's so many times that I hear today in our culture, in our times where people are uttering things about God they don't understand. We serve a king of kings and a lord of lords who does as he pleases. And if you don't like it, tough. He is God. I'll probably get some emails over that, but. (laughs) Things too wonderful for me, which I do not know. Here I will speak, I will answer you and you make it known to me. I had heard of you 
by the hearing of the ear, but now I, my eyes have seen you. I, I, I wonder what does he mean? Does he, is the fact that now he sees God in the creation? Verse six, he says, therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. What did he repent of? The why question. Somehow that he began to justify himself and not understand who God is. It doesn't matter how much you know about why bad things happen, it doesn't take away the pain. It doesn't. But you can serve a holy God that can see you through. You know, we talked about in the beginning of this, and my deal isn't working, the blessed life. And we saw in the very beginning, the blessed life, blessed is he in Psalm 1, who delights himself in what? In the law of the Lord, in the teachings of, of God. Blessed is that person. We saw in Proverbs chapter three, we saw that, that the person who gains wisdom, the instructions of God, and the person who holds on to that, that there is great value, greater than gold and silver and jewels. It's of the greatest value to that person. And we saw the next time in, Rome, in Proverbs chapter one, verse seven, and Proverbs nine, 10, we saw that the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. It's a reverence of God. It's an understanding and a respect of who he is and who I am. And we saw last week that there's a lot of things in life that aren't gonna make sense when we went through the book of Ecclesiastes. And that when you look at life just under the sun, it really is meaningless, what value, what lasts. And on all the wisdom that God had given Solomon and all the resources that he had attained and the power that he had as a king of Israel, he comes to the conclusion, we fear God, we revere him, we respect him, we acknowledge him, and we keep his commandments. That we're to enjoy life, the things that he's given to us, but we do it in reverence to him. And then today, we come to a place where we understand that he is God and we respond righteously in the events that are taking place in our life. Who is your God? Is your God too small? You don't think much of him? He kind of gets added into your life? No wonder you're disappointed with Christianity. No wonder you're disappointed with the church. No wonder you're disappointed with other Christians. I've been disappointed many times but I don't serve Christians and I don't serve church. I don't serve programs. I don't serve those things. I serve a living God from everlasting, everlasting, the King of Kings who is able to sustain and keep me. And there's gonna be a day he's coming again. And you know what? I'll be there because I believe in him. Let's pray. Father God, may we, Father, be a people of faith that we, Father, would be a people that believe in the truth of your word, a people that understand that, Father, you're still the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and there's nothing about you that has changed. We serve you. We are thankful for you, Father. May your spirit move among us and teach us and guide us, and may we grow in your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.